Bibles this morning. If you don't have one, you might want to pick one up uh, in the t- t- seat in front of you or behind you. And, and turn that little book called Galatians. If you're familiar with the Bible at all, if not, look at the table of contents. But you have the New Testament, you have the four Gospels, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then you run into Acts and Romans and then First uh, and Second Corinthians. And then you finally get to those four little books that begin with Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And Galatians is the first of those books. And there's much we can say about each one of these books. And as we've been going through the series, one of the challenges is to synthesize the key truths out of a book so that we might have the big picture. So when we go back and look at the individual things within it, that we might have a context. But Galatians really is kind of a summary of a larger book that we spent four or five weeks in. That's the book of Romans. If you've ever looked at Reader's Digest, they take um, major themes or articles and put in kind of a small, bite-sized portions. Uh, sometimes people would go through uh, classes in university and they're looking for Cliff's notes, some things that will kind of summarize the subject. Well, Galatians is kind of a summary of the book of Romans. But beyond that, if you were to put a two-word title to this book, you could take the title that I've used for our message this morning. It's, it's only grace. And as I see there's a title, and we're going to be sharing a lot of things, I'm not sure how far we'll get in terms of everything in my outline this morning, but I want to emphasize that singular truth. And again, we sang about it this morning, your, your grace is enough. I was reading an article by David Siemens, who I've read many of his writings, and he's a Christian counselor, decades and decades of ministering to people who go to church and quite, can't quite get it together. And this is what he's written in terms of kind of summarizing his 50 years of working with people's problems. He said, many years ago, I was driven to the conclusion that the, the two major causes of most emotional problems among evangelical Christians. I didn't know Christians had problems. Have you ever met a Christian that had a problem? Emotional problem? I can't understand that. And he said, here are the two reasons why we struggle. Number one, the failure to understand, receive, and live out God's unconditional grace. And in case we didn't quite get, understand the implications of grace, this is grace and forgiveness. And then he said, number two is the failure to give out that unconditional grace and forgiveness. We read, we hear, we believe a good theology of grace, but that's not the way we live. The good news, the gospel of grace has not perme- penetrated the level of our everyday life. So he's making a, a challenge for us who struggle and say, well, if you could just get grace right for yourself and then giving it out to others, then, then your life would be on the right path. So often we can, we can really complicate life in so many different areas of life. But even in the Christian experience, we can complicate it a lot as well. And so I, I like it when we can put it in simple terms. It's, it's only grace. Gordon MacDonald said this. He said, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You don't need to be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There's only one thing the world cannot do that only the church or followers of Christ can do, and that is give out grace. Of course, now that begs the question, well, what is grace? 
How do we understand that term? Now, often when we put an adjective next to grace or preceding grace, we call it what kind of grace? You want me to sing the song? Amazing grace, right? Well, what is so amazing about grace? Well, here here are a few definitions. Uh, What is grace? And you can put God's name next to it because for it to be full grace, God's got to be connected to it. Uh, People can do some of these things to a certain degree apart from God, but if you're going to give full grace, God has to be connected to it. So what is grace? It's God's amazing loving kindness. And again, that's what I mean. If you want to separate God from that, you are gracious or you're giving someone grace when your kindness and love is, can only be defined as amazing. It, it, it's, it's unexplainable. It, it is so deep and rich and full. You could also define it this way. It's God's unmerited favor. Now, just to put the twin sister next to grace, a lot of times in Scripture it talks about grace and mercy. Uh, We're going to see this kind of in the next definition. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. You know what mercy is? It's when we don't give someone what they do deserve. It's when that court of law could throw you in the slammer forever and for whatever it might be, they, they give a little grace and put you on probation rather than giving you your just due. As we think about the Lord's table, that, that's the grace and mercy come together. He gives us what we don't deserve, which is a relationship with Him, and what He doesn't give us is His judgment and condemnation because we're in Christ. It's God's provision and help. It's, it's as one Sunday school teacher put, it's God's riches at Christ's expense. But this morning what I want to do, I just want to take that first definition. It's, it's God's amazing loving kindness. So when it's only about grace, it's, it's recognizing that God loves us so much. It's amazing and it's filled with his love and it's filled with his kindness. Well, how, how is that illustrated in terms of understanding God's plan? And that's really what Galatians is all about. As Paul writes a letter which is unique in a lot of different ways, and primarily in this way, as he writes, he doesn't begin with any positive comments. In fact, actually throughout the entire letter, he doesn't give them any kudos. He, he doesn't praise them for anyone because he is so struck that they're messing with grace, with God's amazing loving kindness with his full and unmerited favor that he gives to those who don't deserve it. They're trampling the riches that are found at Christ's expense. They're taking God's provision and help and they want to somehow add to it. That God needs a little help. And so he speaks to them in so many different ways and we're not going to be able to deal with his, his sometimes simple arguments and complicated arguments, but he wants them to know, get it. It's all about grace, about God's amazing, loving kindness. Well, let's try to, let's try to see some of the major issues that he wants us to, to wrestle with. How is it only grace? Well, number one, it's only grace found in the gospel of Christ. It's only grace found in the gospel of Christ that is good news. 
Pick up in Galatians chapter 1. As he hammers them at the very beginning with these words. Verse verse 6. I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace, the amazing loving kindness of Christ, to a different gospel, which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than, than we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches to you any other gospel than the one you have received, let him be accursed. Or to use much more straightforward language, it's, it's the word of anathema. Might they be damned if somehow they mess with only grace. Now, to unpack that simply, he's saying this. You pervert the gospel. You pervert the message of God to you if somehow you add to what he has offered. And and I don't care where this idea comes from. If somehow you feel an angel directly spoke this to you, if you mess with the message that Jesus gave when he was here, which is simply grace. Grace. His amazing loving kindness in giving you what you don't deserve by His provision and by His help at His expense. You've missed it. Because only grace is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, or to put it this way, you know, people are incurably religious because God has created a, a God-shaped vacuum within us. We know we need something more than what we have. And so what people do is they they invent their God, they invent their message from God. And there are really only two messages. One is the gospel of you can only get it because God is willing to give it to you. You can't earn it and you can't merit it. And then the other gospel, the other message, whether they call it a gospel or not, is this. You get it by whatever part God gives you and then you work for the rest. That you need to add to what God is willing to give you freely because of what Jesus did on the cross for you. Simple illustration of that. You know, we have a, a, a group of people highly religious to be appreciated in a lot of ways in terms of the things they do. But what they do is they add to the gospel. Uh, they're called Mormons. They're called Latter-day Saints. And often what they're presenting today is that they are just one of many Christian churches. But is that true? Listen to what Joseph Smith said as he got the message from the angel Moroni. This is what the angel said to him. And this is from Joseph History, chapter 1, verse 19. And Joseph claimed that he had seen both the God, the Father, and Jesus Christ and asked these personages, which church should I join? And he was told not to join one of them. Why? For they were all wrong. And the personage who addressed me said their creeds were an abomination in his sight. So whenever you hear, and I have many friends who are Latter-day Saints and are Mormons, when they say that their message is the same as ours, just a little bit better, their statement from their founder is, is every church is an abomination in God's sight. 
When asked very directly, and this is found in the teachings of the, of the prophet Joseph Smith on page 119. When asked, will all be damned but Mormons? Smith replied, yes, and a great portion of them. How about Brigham Young? He was asked this question. The Christian world so-called are heathens as to the knowledge of the salvation of God when asked in the Journal of Discourses whether they were really followers of, of God. In Journal of Discourses, chapter 10, verses, verse 230, he said this, Should you ask why we differ from other Christians as they are called is simply because they are not Christians. And why did he boldly say this? Because his message was a different message. His message is believe what we believe and then do what we do. And the message of Christ is you cannot earn your way to heaven. And what does that speak into our lives? It just hits us at our sense of any pride in our ability and ourselves. We come to God begging for his mercy. We come to God begging for his grace because we recognize we fall so short. And this is the Apostle Paul who looked at his own life and saw himself as blameless in the sight of men and of God, and then he recognized his sin. See, it's only grace because there's nothing we can do to earn our merit before God. And we, above all people, ought to be most humble. And that passage you're all memorizing this month, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, you know, where it talks about love suffers long and is kind and love does not envy. And then it says love does not parade itself, is not puffed up. Because as we look at our relationship, there's nothing to be proud about because we receive it simply because of God's amazing loving kindness who offers us what we don't deserve. Why is it only grace? Because it's only the grace of Christ that's good news and we add nothing to it. But that grace is to be lived out. And so another principle found in the book of Galatians is this. Only grace declares there are no favorites with God. Look at Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul just nails it very simply when he says, but from... From those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. Now, that's in the midst of kind of a somewhat complicated argument when he's talking about his right to be able to, to speak authoritatively for God. And simply he's saying this. It doesn't matter if God calls a person in and gives him the message. It doesn't matter whether he was at the original 12 when Jesus was walking on earth or what God called him later. There's no personal favoritism in terms of the apostles of God. But actually, this is illustrated more powerfully in terms of how we are to live out our lives as people who have not only received God's grace, God's amazing kindness, but live that way where we give others amazing, loving kindness. And so what he does is he, he, he speaks among those who are among his... Uh, clan in terms of speaking for God and saying, sometimes we don't live it out. Some, sometimes the preachers don't practice what they preach. And so let's pick up the account in verse 11, chapter 2. 
Now, now when Peter had come to Antioch, I, I withstood him to his face. This is Paul confronting Peter. And let me just say this for free. There are places within God's church where we have to confront one another. We have to speak into each other's lives. We have to correct each other. And what was he correcting about? Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. Now, in case you can't can't quite get the argument here, he's saying... You know, at the lunch table at school, uh, Peter used to eat with the, the people who weren't the cheerleaders and the jocks there. He, he would just kind of eat with anybody. But when, when the Jewish people came, when the, the cheerleaders and the, the athletes came, he, he kind of removed himself and would only eat with them. But it was much deeper than that, more than just saying, well, I kind of, they're, they're the in crowd and I want to make sure I'm with the in crowd and identify with them. He was also making a theological statement because he goes on and says this. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. His lifestyle of not showing grace to people who were not in the in crowd religiously caused other people to do the same thing. Verse 14. But when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the matter of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? And here's what he's saying here. When they weren't here, you ate food that wasn't kosher. You, you live like any other Jew, any Gentile, non-Jew. But when they get here, now you change everything about yourself. You begin adding to what you really believe. And this really speaks to what he was saying here. It wasn't only grace to some of the people in the church. It was grace plus, well, let's do all the laws of the Old Testament. And we're not just talking about moral laws here, but all the ceremonial laws. We've got to eat a certain way. We've got to observe a certain day more higher than another. We've, we've got to conform to all the, the rituals and believe because we do that, God is pleased with us. And he was trampling the message that we cannot merit at ourselves at all. It's totally by God giving us the gift of life in, in himself. Verse 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. And what Peter was doing there, he, he was being the example of playing favorites with some people and denying others the grace of God by adding to his faith those laws and rituals that had a purpose in the Old Testament but were now optional for those who really, not even optional, if you added that to what may give you merit before God, you need to run from that. Now, in our day, we don't wrestle with that too much within churches, looking at the Old Testament law compared to how that law is to be lived out today, particularly the ceremonial part of that law. But there are times when we look at people differently because of maybe what they've been doing or their lifestyle. And God wants us to understand there is no favoritism with him. That God's amazing loving kindness is to be displayed to all. I was reading Philip Yancey's book, rereading Philip Yancey's book this last week. What's so amazing 
about grace. And in it, he, he shared this experience he had with a young woman that she, he just basically kind of ran into and began to converse with and, and heard her story. And in the story, this was her comment on God's people. A prostitute came to me in the wretched straits, in wretched straits, homeless, sick, unable to buy food for a two-year-old daughter. Through sobs and tears, she told me she had been renting out her daughter, two years old, to men interested in kinky sex. She made more renting out her daughter for an hour than she could earn on her own in a night. She had to do it, she said, to support her own drug habit. I could hardly bear hearing her sordid story. For one thing, it made me legally liable. I'm required to report cases of child abuse, and I had no idea what to say to this woman. At last, I asked if she had ever thought of going to a church for help to receive grace, amazing loving kindness. I will never forget the look of pure, naive shock that crossed her face. Church, she cried. Why would I ever go there? I was already feeling terrible about myself. They just make me feel worse. See, God's amazing grace is that all of us in God's eyes are just like that woman. Maybe, maybe our sin is not quite as colorful or as shocking to people. But the Bible tells us that when we transgress in one law, it's like transgressing in them all. And that what Paul was pleading with Peter, don't go back to, to giving out a message that people try to earn their way to God. Because that was never the reason for the law. He says later on in this book in Galatians, the, the law was a, was a teacher, a tutor to lead us to the reality of our sin and then lead us to the need for a Savior. And when we understand that, then we recognize that there are no favorites with God and there ought to be no favorites with us. Everyone is in need of God's grace. A couple weeks ago, I had a, an unusual experience. I, I had a man come in, and we were, I was talking, and he was talking about all the struggles. And you know, he, he shared his journey with me, and he was wrestling with so much. And, and right now, he was living with a, a transsexual. You know, and initially when you hear that, you go, oh my gosh. And then immediately I realize, he's just like us. He needs God's grace. Only the grace of Christ is good news. And only the grace of God powerfully tells us there are no favorites with him. 
Paul goes on in this book and he, he, he tries to give some theological equations. Now, we all remember algebraic equations, or if you haven't got there yet, you will, some of you, and, and trying, to, tr- trying to put those together. Well, there are theological equations as well, and, and they're very simple, and if we miss them, then we miss the message of God for us. First theological equation, that's on the back of your outline this morning. Only grace plus nothing deepens your relationship with God. Or to put it in a simpler way, only grace plus nothing equals a vital relationship with God. Uh, look at Galatians chapter 2. I just had to throw this, these two verses in and then we'll look at a couple other ones. That, that speaks about living out the Christian life. Well, how, how does this play out? Is this something we can do on our own, be a gracious, loving people? Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. And, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. We can't do it on our own. And then he goes on speaking to these Galatians who are being taught by some Judaizers in in their church, who are trying to bring them back to the law, he, he says this, Oh, foolish Galatians. And he's speaking to a group of churches, not just one singular church. He says, Who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Galatians 3, verse 1. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed among you as crucified. What actually happened on the cross? Was it sufficient? You need to add to the blood of Christ? Verse 2. This only I want to learn from you. And this is such a powerful question. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And of course, the, the answer to that is so simple. We didn't work our way to Christ. We, we just simply believed in Him. Verse 3. Are you so foolish, having been, been begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Have you suffered or experienced so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? If this is true about you, then you don't really have the the real thing, which is a life of Christ. Because there's two ways to mess up the grace of God. One is before you enter into a relationship with God, and one is after you enter into a relationship with God. And this is what's called legalism. What is legalism? Legalism is adding the law or works to faith for sanctification. Or to put it simply this way, is, okay, I received Christ by faith, and, and, and now I know how to really work it out in terms of, of doing certain things that will make God more pleased with me. Now, now, the things God wants us to do, the Bible says in Ephesians 2.10 that, that he has special works for us to do. James says that faith without works is dead. But he's simply saying that demonstrates your faith. It's a result of your faith. But you don't make a list of do's and don'ts that will somehow make God more pleased with you. It's all based on simply trusting in His amazing loving kindness in your life. And because of that, it spills out. It's all of His Spirit of God working in and through you. Carl Menninger is another Christian counselor. He's actually a psychiatrist, Christian psychiatrist. And this is what he said about people who, who add a lot to 
walking with God and feel somehow if they just, if they just had more rules, it would work for them. Uh, Carl Manager, in his book entitled The Vital Balance, he wrote, at one point he discusses the negative personality he's found in many Christians. It's the type who says no to just about everything. You know people like that? I mean, they're just no people. It's just always no. And he calls these people sad folks and troubled patients of his. They're rigid, they're bitter, they're insecure, and they're chronologically unhappy. And I know so many Christians like that. They think the path for living for God is is looking for another thing to say no to. And they think adding that to the, the grace of God is going to make their life much more abundant and full living for God. Now, there are places we ought to say no to. But it's not because somehow it makes us more loving to God or more pleasing to God in terms of our own merit. It's simply an act of obedience or or making wise decisions. But it's not external, it's internal. So you can mess up the grace of God by adding to your walk with God after you begin that walk. Thinking somehow you're perfected afterwards by having long lists of do's and don'ts. But you can also mess it up at the front end. And that's really where most of the legalism in the book of Galatians is all about. It's not simply adding uh, to your walk of faith after you enter into a relationship with him, but it's, it's before. Uh, that's, qu- that's point number four. Only grace plus nothing brings you into a relationship with God. Or only grace plus nothing equals a relationship with God. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Paul writes these words. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. That no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not a faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. But going back a little bit to verse 10. Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. If you're going to go back to the law, then you're going to have to do everything in the law. So what God is saying here, you need to understand God has set you free from looking at the relationship with him from the outside in rather than inside out. That, That God has put a new heart in your life. He's written the commandments on your heart. And not look to external things to draw you closer to himself. I, I was reading this past week. About struggles that, that, that people have. And, and as you see where people's journey goes. So often people miss the point. And in that day, what they were doing, they were, they, were, they were calling those who were non-Jews to identify their relationship with God by following certain laws, and particularly the law there was circumcision. They were saying that's the badge that God gave Abraham to de- de- demonstrate that he was a follower of Yahweh. But what Paul was going back to, he said, you need to understand that Abraham was declared righteous way before the law was given and way before the commandment was given to be circumcised. 
Did you hear what was happening in San Francisco? You know what they're trying to do? And they're kind of reversing this whole thing. They have an issue that they're trying to put on the November ballot that's going through the courts right now in which they were, would make it illegal for people to be circumcised. Now, usually the people get circumcised, they're little babies, it's a little bit more painful after the fact, but they're trying to make it a $1,000 uh, fine if a family decides to circumcise their male child. Now, there's nothing wrong with circumcision, and there's nothing wrong with obeying, a lot of, obeying all of God's moral laws. That's what we should do. And there's all right to have certain convictions about what things you like to eat. That's a personal preference. But what it becomes wrong with is when you require certain things to, to merit yourself before God. And that's what we need to understand. It's not baptism that makes us right before God. It's not church membership that makes us right before God. What makes us right before God is a faith relationship with Christ alone by grace alone. By recognizing what God did for us that we can enter in clearly and fully in a relationship with Him. Where are we set free? And, and that's the last key thing I want to share this morning. Another theological equation. Only grace plus nothing leads to living in the Spirit and setting you free. Or put it another way. Only grace plus nothing equals being free. It's only God's amazing loving kindness lived out through your life that sets you free. And sets others free as well. Galatians 5.1 says this. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Remember that familiar statement that Jesus made? Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't isn't it great to have rest? I talk to so many people on Sunday. They they take naps. Anybody take naps on Sundays? You You just like to rest. Brandon, you're too young to take naps. Sorry. Uh, you know, you just, you just like, you just like, to, you know, the burden's off. But as you think of that first part of that verse, come to me all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. He said, for my yoke is easy and my burden is, is light. And who he was speaking to was a religious crowd. And they were fully aware of the faith journey that they had been taught. That the only way to merit themselves before God was to take on this heavy load of requirements that would, through their own efforts, make them righteous in God's eyes. And Jesus was saying, it'll never be enough. The only way to enter in that way would to be able to obey all those laws perfectly. And so Paul, to the end of this book, talks about, well, how, how do we live it out then? Look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. There is an active part in living for God, but it's an active part of walking in the Spirit and, and not walking in the flesh. He says in verses 16 through 18, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you should not fulfill the, the lusts of the flesh, for the flesh... For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you were led by the spirit, you're not under the law. It's walking by the spirit. And when you understand it's all about God's amazing grace lived out through you through his spirit. That's how you live the Christian life. 
And what's the result of that? Look at verses 22 and 23 of this chapter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and loving kindness and long-suffering, goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. You can't do this through the law. It can only be a byproduct of walking by the Spirit. So what's the point this morning? What is Paul trying to get across? The Christian life can be defined in two words, only grace. Only understanding God's amazing, loving kindness. Only understanding that you don't deserve it. It's what God gives you when you don't deserve it. It's unmerited favor. It's God's provision at the point of salvation. And it's that God's provision help after salvation. That it does come at a cost, but it's free to you. Do you ever see that, that movie, The Last Emperor? Have you ever seen that movie? Interesting movie in which the last emperor of China before that whole regime falls, and this is kind of basically a little boy uh, who has everything. And there's a conversation in that movie in which his brother, who doesn't have all the trappings and all the, the perks that his brother has, comes in and meets him and has a conversation with him and, and asks, uh, I mean, is, is your life perfect? Don't you do ever, anything ever wrong? And if you do something wrong, what happens to you? I mean, you are the emperor. Who says anything in your life? Says, well, if, and he has a thousand eunuchs serving him all the time, just surrounding him. He said, well, if I do anything wrong, then one of my servants gets punished. Now, let me show you. He takes a jar or a vase or some expensive what, artifact, throws it on the ground and shatters it. And immediately... Someone comes and beats one of the servants. See, even, even within that culture, there had to be justice. There had to be some consequence from doing what was wrong, even if it was just trashing a jar or vase. Someone had to be punished. The, the message of the cross, the message that we're going to remember at the the table of remembrance. It is unlike the last emperor, the story was reversed. It wasn't the emperor punishing an innocent servant. It was the emperor of the universe taking the punishment of the servant who had sinned. And as you think about how grace works, because it's kind of counterintuitive, isn't it? Well, we take advantage of it. It's only grace. We'll just do whatever we want. But that is the point. If you understand how amazing God's grace is, if you recognize all that he has given to you, you'll be like Augustine who said, he said, if you really understand how much God loves you, and you in turn Love Him in a way, in an appreciation of all He's done for you, then you really can do whatever you want because whatever you want will be to please Him who's done so much for you. And, and when you have been wrong, you'll recognize how much you've wronged Him and, and you want to give grace to the one who's wronged you. 
When you've been sinned against and you want to be bitter and angry and unforgiving, you'll remember how much you've sinned him and against him and you recognize that he wasn't bitter and he wasn't unforgiving. But he gave you forgiveness and grace when you didn't deserve it. That's why Jesus could say that all the law is summarized by love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. Because if you understand his grace and you love him as he has loved you, then you'll fulfill all his commandments. In a moment, we're going to remember that greatest expression of his grace and love, which is the cross. And maybe there's someone here this morning, and you've heard this story or heard bits of the story so many times, but it hasn't touched down in your heart. And for some, it's because you've always said, well, I've got to get my act together before I give my life to Christ. No one comes to Christ that way. No one has their act together. In fact, in Jesus' day, the people who thought they had their act together never came to him because they never admitted their need. They didn't realize they needed God's grace. And because they never admitted they needed God's grace, they never experienced it. This is a table which reminds us that we need to admit our need and, and turn from our sin and turn to the Savior. This is a table which says we ought to believe that Jesus fully paid the penalty for our sins and rose again. And that's where our trust relies in. It's a table in which we commit to follow Jesus as Lord, God, and Savior. That He is the leader of our life. That we recognize that the gospel and the message of Christ is that it's, it's all been done. And we simply live lives of gratefulness for what He did on the cross for us. If you've never made that step, I invite you to simply pray a very simple prayer. Lord Jesus, I want to experience your amazing loving kindness, your grace. I want you to forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you as the leader of my life. And for those of us who already made that step, God, once again, help me to realize it's only grace. And I experience life to its fullest when I understand the grace you've given to me. And now might I be a grace giver to others. Let's pray. Father, as we remember the cross, the expression of your amazing loving kindness, your grace, as we think about your body which was broken for us and your love that was poured out in which your Forgiving power was demonstrated as being sufficient for every sin that we ever committed and will commit. Might we humbly, but also in a celebrative way, remember what you've done for us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen.
never loved me quite like you do. No one's ever loved me quite like you. Jesus, for your glory, I will tell the story of the cross. Sing that again. For no one's ever loved me quite like you do. No one's ever loved me quite like you. Jesus, for your glory, I will tell the story of the cross. This is your la- this is your day, Father God. And we come here to focus on to you. Let our eyes and our hearts be lifted up to you this day. In your precious son's name, amen. Amen. came down to find us 
let us out of death to you alone belongs the highest praise we lift up our eyes lift up our eyes you're the giver of life Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. Lift up our eyes, lift up our eyes, you're the giver of life. And you alone can rescue, you alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise. To you alone belongs the highest praise you alone you alone amen God is deserves our highest praise because he gives us what we don't deserve, but what we so desperately need, and that's his grace. The Old, the New Old Testament has a word for grace. It's not normally tr- translated grace, but it's translated loving kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed. And in the New Testament, it's the word charis. And it's the whole idea where God, at Christ's expense, gives us his amazing love. As we live this week, God gives the badge for those who follow him to love others as he has loved us, giving people grace when so often we feel they don't deserve it, but what they desperately need is for us to love them as God has loved us. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we live for you that we might live by the power of your grace and that we might live for the purpose of displaying your grace to others. And we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you.